So, Rachel. Yeah? The Enterprise discovers a planet whose oppressive government is a 20th century version of Earth's Roman Empire. Hmm. So the best friends gang will beam down and they'll easily pass themselves off as locals by just wearing togas. Mm -hmm. Some gladiatorial thing involving a gorn? Mm. A sexy Roman consort will fall in love with Kirk, but she won't know what stars are. There might be a decent meal in it for McCoy. Mm. Maybe some drinks. Will they have 20th century weapons? Maybe guns? Uh I am looking forward to toga foo. Those roundhouse kicks are going to be great with no (laughs) pants on. (laughs) No Uhura in this, I'm guessing. But maybe a female history expert? Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. Let's see. Rachel watches Star Trek. No doubt about it, Captain. Space debris comes from the survey vessel, the SS Beagle. Missing for six years, and all this junk in space. Portions of the antimatter nacelles and personal belongings. Captain. No signs of bodies whatsoever. Then whatever destroyed the ship, the crew was able to get off safely. Navigator. Compute the present drift of the wreckage. Computed and on the board, sir. Mr. Spock, assuming that the wreckage drifted at the same speed and direction for the past six years. It would have come from planet four, star system 892, directly ahead. That was from an episode of the original series of Star Trek entitled Bread and Circuses. Now... The title of that particular episode is from the old Roman satirist, Juvenal, who said that giving the poor bread and circuses, basically cheap food and entertainment, prevented civil unrest. And you're getting your cheap entertainment right here on Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a bit of civil unrest myself after watching this episode. Agreed. I did not like it, but... We will get into that as we discuss it. Let us begin with the beginning. Good. Where the Enterprise has found the wreckage of the SS Beagle, a merchant ship missing for the last six years. It was under the command of this guy, Merrick, who, of course, Kirk knew from the Academy. <laughs> yep. I let that slide, though, since Kirk has his wrap over top on <laughs> and his twinkle is back. <laughs> yeah. So the wreckage was near an industrial planet with tech levels similar to Earth's 20th century. Number four seems to be... Class M. Ooh, I can't believe it. We found another black planet. I'm aching for answers. I'm peeing my pants. Let's go and learn everything about it. It's a big day for Chekhov, who Kirk refers to as Navigator. Does he always do that? Yeah, he does. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) That's his job. Oh, that hair never did work out, did it? No, not really. Back to the wig. <laughs> they pick up a television broadcast of a Roman style gladiator fight where a dude in all the armor is fighting another guy who has no armor, and they refer to him as being a barbarian. Hmm, it seems to be 20th century yet, they're all still dressed as ancient Roman. On another topic, Uhura is back in the wig with the fringe and the curls on the top, and Kirk mm. looks good. This was obviously shot ages ago. Yeah, I think so, especially because this episode was written by both Jeans and Gene Kuhn was not on the show anymore. This barbarian guy is named William B. Harrison, who Spock says was the flight officer from the Beagle. 
Kirk assembles a landing party. He puts a lot of time and effort into it. He looks at all the skills of the possible potential members after making a thorough plan of action. What's the best way to infiltrate this society and go undetected? <laughs> no. Kirk just gets his best buds together and they beam down to the planet willy-nilly. <laughs> the best friends gang beam down to the planet on the outskirts of the city. They bring up the Prime Directive many times and how they're not to interfere with society's natural development. Do as I say and not as I do the Prime Directive. <laughs> if somebody has already broken the Prime Directive... Mm and you want to try and clean up the Prime Directive mess, how yeah. much are you allowed to break the Prime Directive? Right. Something to think about. <laughs> when you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep at night. That's what's been getting me awake at 6am. McCoy is in full Spock resentment mode. Yeah. Another way in which this episode feels out of whack. He's snarky, and Spock's weary or kind of biting back occasionally rather than being neutral. Mm. McCoy also shares that just once on one of these Earth-like planets, I'd like to pretend to be the Angel Gabriel. What the heck is going on with that? <laughs> I guess instead of sneaking around, he wants to come in and be worshipped like a god, which right. is kind of disturbing, but okay. I can understand how that thought would cross a person's mind after all they've seen and done. Yeah, especially after they have to kind of eat dirt from people that are totally not as sophisticated as they are. Yeah, they're always being imprisoned as well yeah. and beaten and things like that. Dressed up as Nazis with boots that don't fit. <laughs> All of that. He can't resist saying Spock could pretend to be the devil. But like a bunch of drunks stumbling home from a bar, they get captured by some escaped slaves. <laughs> the strange thing here is they speak English. Now, mm -hmm. this is the first time language is really addressed on the show because usually the universal translator translates whatever people oh, say. Right. But Spock is like, wait, they're actually speaking English. This oh. is crazy. The Universal Translator is very confusing to me for a number of reasons. Reason number one, mm. people's lips still match with what they're saying. Oh, unless it beams straight into your brain and makes you talk in that language. No, but it doesn't. It translates. It's not the Universal Lip Syncer, is it? No. Or the Universal Talker. But that's something that obviously was done for the sake of plot. Because if people can't talk to each other, there's not much that they can do, yeah. really. So... On the upside, the slaves are wearing grey sweatshirts with a black chain design printed near the collar and the sleeves cut short with grey chinos. I like it. Mm. It's different from the native costumes that we've normally seen yeah. before. Yeah. We have yet another planet that has evolved just like Earth did. It has Earth civilizations. It has English. It has mm. Rome. It mm -hmm. has all of these things that just happened to evolve exactly down the parallel, except at one point, there's a divergent timeline, basically, right. even though it's still in our universe. I think that this is the last time they do this concept, which we first saw in Miri on the original series. <gasps> Just yeah. after I've written that song? <laughs> no, no, no. A class in planet is only a planet that has gravity and an environment similar to Earth's. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with what the alien species is like or what their history is. So we're still going to see plenty of those. Oh, yeah. Okay. Pretty much every planet they go to is a Class M planet. Yeah, I guess it'd have to be, wouldn't it? They can't go down. No. Or they would have to wear spacesuits, and those cost money. Nobody wants those. Remember the uh, sari shower curtain oh. sheath things? <laughs> that didn't work at all. Well, those were environmental suits, which are, oh. I think, different than spacesuits. But... Then he takes his glove off and scratches his nose. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Just reading this great book, sure. This Is Gonna Hurt. It just reminded me that the guy said he was taking a poo when he got an emergency call to go and perform a cesarean. Uh -huh. So he just had to run out with a cursory wipe 
And then he's standing in theatre with a really itchy bum and oh. he was wondering, is it okay to ask one of the people who doesn't have to be sterilised, who's not like scrubbed up to itch his bum for him? It's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> You're my wife and I wouldn't ask you to do that. But he didn't itch his own bum, even through clothes. Yeah. You know, with yeah. his surgical gloves on. Sure. So well done. Better than they do What's on the Star name Trek. Of this? Adam K. So good job, Adam K. Well done. They are taken to some caves. Same caves, actually, that we shot Whisperer in Darkness in. Oh. A film that I was a producer on. And yeah. it was lots of fun doing that. It's the kind of the Batman cave when the Batmobile comes shooting out of the cave. Wow. In the original Batman. Oh, what a coincidence. It's in Los Bilas. It's this whole area that they shoot at lots. It's used again here. So they meet this old guy. His name is Septimus. And then they also meet another dude who's a young, beefy guy. And he's Flavius Maximus, which I assume in Latin means maximum flavor. (laughs) Well, Flavius was an ex-gladiator. And he's pretty keen on killing them before they can reveal the hidden location of the slave camp because they're afraid if the word gets out, they're going to get captured and go back to the gladiatorial pits. But Septimus, he is against violence. And he reminds Flavius that he also is against violence because they are all children of the sun. Children of the sun, now your time has just begun. Searching for your way through adventures every day. What's happening? (laughs) Did anyone out there watch that show? I feel like this is the second time I've sung that while we've been doing this show, actually. (laughs) It was called Cities of Gold. It was an amazing animated show when I was a kid. It didn't get a lot of playing in the US. So Kirk explains that he's part of another group of people from somewhere. (laughs) And they're not friends with the Romans. And this, of course, really irked me. Why did they come to this planet with absolutely no plan of any kind? Yeah, what's the rush? Why didn't they research the culture? And you're right, what's the rush? These guys have been missing for six years. Uh They can spend, I don't know, five minutes (laughs) doing a little research before they just jump up and just beam down to the planet. It's like preposterous. Have a little conference with the best buds. They didn't even bother with a female expert on Roman times. No. She's still waiting there to do an ounce of work. (laughs) Don't even bring her down the one planet she could have been useful on. (laughs) Sitting there doing her paintings or throwing some pots or something. What? You know that one expert, was it Space Seed? She was just waiting for her turn to do anything. Yeah, she was painting. Meanwhile, she painted, yeah. But what was the pot throwing that you're talking about? Romans. What do you want me to say? Make some plumbing? (laughs) (laughs) What else do Romans do? I like that. Lay a road. That makes good. Yeah, I like that. I like that. This whole idea that they just kind of go down the planet with no thought at all, Mm -hmm. like they're just going to be able to handle the situation is preposterous. Hubris. Well, it's just stupid writing. It's really sloppy. Characters wouldn't do that. They're probably under a lot of time pressure. I bet there's a Commodore to blame. (laughs) So Kirk calls the Enterprise, telling the slaves that he's calling his boat. (laughs) <laughs> and has Scott scan the area to identify the number of slaves that are near them. Mm. Uh, this impresses them because they realize the Romans don't have that kind of technology, so they must be from someplace else. Yeah, but what kind of boat do they think it is that can scan the area and report back like that? I have no idea what they're mm. thinking. Septimus explains that the children of the sun teach peace and brotherhood and are persecuted for their beliefs. Creepy music plays when they talk about them worshipping the sun. Yeah, and then at this point I said, oh man, they're Christians, aren't they? Ah, maybe he called it, let's see. (laughs) So in the cave, they look at magazines and see amazing parallels with 20th century Earth and this world. Kirk mentions that they're looking for Captain Merrick, and they all wig out and say, you don't mean Merrickus, the first (laughs) citizen. Of course, he's become one of the most powerful people in the society. (laughs) Prime directive. (laughs) Well, again, he's a merchant marine. 
which is not part of Starfleet. So I don't understand if he has to follow the Prime Directive or not. Oh, I don't get it. He's not part of Starfleet? No. And then that makes me think about all of the other non-Starfleet spaceships that are out there, like a freighter pilot. Do you have to follow the Prime Directive? And do you take an oath or is that just a law? And if you break the law, what's the penalty for like going in and devastating a civilization? Like, I don't know. This is something I need to read a little bit more. I'm sure that's been explored in Star Trek novels and stories and comic books and things, but I'm not exactly sure how this stuff works out. Hmm. Since they all hate Maricus, Kirk says, well, look, if this Maricus is Merrick, he wasn't supposed to come in and mess with your culture and do any of these things. Mm -hmm. And if he has done that, we will take him away and we will punish him. So Septimus orders Flavius to take them into the city dressed as slaves. That's your best idea. (laughs) Really? That's it? (laughs) Your best idea is to make yourselves look like the least powerful people in a civilization. Fugitive slaves, too. Yeah. It's... Maybe they want to be captured. Get in that way. Oh. I don't know. Sloppy, look, sloppy Joe. It, this episode makes me so angry. Sloppy Jean, more like. So, <laughs> <laughs> so after they leave the cave, not five minutes later, they are captured by Roman police. <laughs> They have no stealth skills, I guess. <laughs> not at all. These outfits are not the best. A Nazi feel, but with crash helmets with unflattering chin straps <laughs> and red polo necks under their jackets. Kirk looks cute in his sweats, though. He does one of those tucks. Tucks. From Queer Eye. A French tuck. That's right. <laughs> Very helpful when you've got short legs and you want to elongate them a bit. Duh. <laughs> they are taken to the city and put in jail. Spock talks about McCoy's new infatuation with snarking about logic. How old is this episode? It must be from the first season. I don't think so. Or written then, I don't know. We've already overcome all of this with Spock and McCoy. McCoy's likeable now, remember? Yeah, last episode he was awesome. And this episode he's back to being a racist jerk. Hmm. So Kirk demands to see Maricus and he has the guards tell Maricus that he's Jim Kirk since they were old school chums. Maricus shows up and of course it is Merrick and he explains, look, we had an accident. We got marooned here. Things got hairy. Mm. I did my best not to mess with the prime directive, but you know, things happen. Mm. I'll explain more. And he takes him to go see the pro-council Claudius Marcus. So it's a very gaudy room and Merrick introduces Kirk to the pro-council who's super smarmy. And he's got one of those faces that you just really want to slap. Oh, I've never agreed with you more. (laughs) Is this sparkly granny bloused Harry Potter jerk. Harry Potter? You know, the jacket. Oh, right. It's got kind of a school emblem on it. Well, funny that you bring that up because that is actually Shakespeare's coat of arms. Huh? Yeah, the costume person or or Jean or somebody thought it would be clever to put that on there for some reason. Mm, he does look like the type who'd be a Shakespeare nerd. <laughs> no offense, Shakespeare nerds. There's a lot of nice ones out there, but this is not one of them. Well, as you know, William Shatner is a Shakespeare nerd. Oh, well, because he did a lot of recording. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He smams some compliments like, I wish I had 50 Vulcans for my arena. <laughs> so Merrick explains that the Pro Council knows all about their alien origins and will keep it under wraps. Merrick goes on to say that the Beagle was hit by asteroids, though Merrick says they were hit by meteorites. What's the difference again? Well, asteroids are out in space. Meteorites mm. are asteroids that hit the atmosphere and come down to the planet. Oh, potato, potato. <laughs> well, it's a big <laughs> difference because that would mean that the Beagle was whizzing around in their atmosphere. See, oh, there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> now the meteorite's on the other foot. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Once they were hit with by these asteroids, they had to beam down to the planet to survive. All 47 crew members were able to get down there. However, once they were there, the people in charge basically said, you need to adapt to our civilization. If you don't, you're going to be sent to the gladiatorial fights. Ooh. Kirk is visibly disgusted by Merrick, disregarding his oath. Again, did he take one? Hmm. And let his crew die. Merrick says he had no choice. Sparkly Harry Potter doesn't want anyone knowing about their society, so therefore he has to go along with it all. The Romans don't want anybody in space to know about them, and they don't want anybody on the planet knowing about the people in space. Mm, goes the, both ways. It compromises their power. Yeah. Because if people on the planet knew there are other people, they might try and get them to help them escape slavery. Because they did say there were a few slave revolts, but they just didn't work out. So Merrick's just like, oh, okay, if that's what you want, I'll do anything. Yeah, just Check. to survive. And well, he became the first citizen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> Claudius gives Kirk orders to tell him to beam down the crew of the entire Enterprise to the planet. As if. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Or Claudius will have Kirk and Spock and McCoy killed. Yeah. Well, we know that Kirk has put his and his friend's life in danger a million times to save the rest of the crew. I suppose yeah. this jerk doesn't. Kirk disobeys, of course, telling Scotty everything is fine, code condition green. Mm. Claudius is pissed at Kirk's disobedience and announces that Spock and McCoy are going to fight the gladiators. Mm. Ooh. So on the Enterprise, Scott reveals that condition green is a signal that the landing party is in danger, but... They are not to rescue them. Scott seems to be giving this monologue to no one in particular. <laughs> yeah, his usual noble, I'm in charge, stare off into the distance type speech. Yeah, maybe he's talking to Sulu, but you know, it doesn't really seem like it. Scott decides he wants to secretly disrupt the whole planet's electrical systems momentarily. Now, they need some time to do this, so they all set to work. He loves this idea. Again, didn't Kirk just tell him not to interfere? <laughs> yeah. And of course, he doesn't know what Kirk is planning. So maybe Kirk's plans involve the electrical systems. Yeah. If he wanted him to know that they were in danger and do something, that would have been code magenta. <laughs> of course. <laughs> There's more than two colors, right? Or is it like that pike with the lights? <laughs> <laughs> no, you yeah, have one light. One, you give the one color if there's that, and then if it's not that situation, there isn't a color. No, you just do that same color, but twice. But twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the gladiatorial fight is set on a soundstage with no audience, and all of the applause and booing is canned. Which should have been really interesting, but I just couldn't get on board with the concepts in this. And they said that this episode was supposed to be kind of a send-up of the whole TV industry. Mm -hmm. But at this point in the show, I just didn't care. Yeah. Didn't find it clever or engaging. No. It was just terrible. Claudius, Merrick, and Kirk have to watch Spock and McCoy fight some random gladiator. But then also Flavius, a.k.a. Flavor Flav, is back. <laughs> Spock holds back during the fight, telling the guy he doesn't want to hurt him, while Flav is trying not to hurt McCoy. Nimoy is flinching a lot. Spock and McCoy bicker while they fight the other guys for ages. It takes so long. And it's really difficult watching two guys not really fighting. Mm -hmm. So Spock sees McCoy is in danger as the guards want to see blood. You know, they start whipping Flavor Flav. <laughs> and that springs Spock into action. So he takes out his dude super quick and then he nerve pinches Flav. Woo! Now, the rules of the gladiatorial fight is they're not supposed to help each other. So Claudius says, well, they broke the rules, but I'm going to let Merrick decide what happens to them. Hmm. So he hems and haws, and basically they finally decide that they're going to let them live to try and influence Kirk to cooperate. Why? 
He's not going to cooperate. Oh, they don't know that yet. <laughs> They're already going to kill him on live television. It's, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't uh, make any sense. I don't get it. Kirk's brought into Claudius's fancy room and a pretty slave girl's there saying she is Kirk's for the night. Kirk says, this is not going to work. I'm not changing my mind. So in their cell, McCoy and Spock have a very strange conversation. Hmm. Well, what I'm trying to say is you saved my life in the arena. Yes, that's quite true. I'm trying to thank you, you pointed-eared hobgoblin. Oh, yes, you humans have that emotional need to express gratitude. You're welcome, I believe, is the correct response. However, Doctor, you must remember that I'm entirely motivated by logic. The loss of our ship's surgeon, whatever I may think of his relative skill, would mean a reduction in the efficiency of the Enterprise, and therefore... Oh, why? You're not afraid to die, Spock. You're more afraid of living. Each day you stay alive is just one more day you might slip and let your human half peek out. That's it, isn't it? And security. Why, you wouldn't know what to do with a genuine, warm, decent feeling. Really, Doctor? I know. I'm worried about Jim, too. Bokoy? Oh. No thanks. <laughs> you know, I don't know where to begin with this. It feels like there were two different scenes that got smooshed into one. Like Gene 1 had an idea and Gene 2 had another idea. <laughs> yeah. And they just couldn't agree. So they just cut and pasted the whole scene together. Because this is a very interesting idea that McCoy's presenting, that Spock is denying his emotions out of like a latent fear. You know, like that's kind of a cool idea. He's afraid to live. Almost suggesting that he'd rather be dead than to feel. Yeah, hmm. which is very interesting. And it is not brought up again in this whole episode. Uh. Just this paragraph, basically, of McCoy saying this, and then Spock kind of scratches his chin, mm -hmm. and that's it. They're done. They're like, what? Why, why is this in this whole episode? Uh. It drives me crazy. Anyway, Kirk and the slave girl, whose name is Drusilla, are chilling and just having a really nice time. And then she starts coming on to him pretty strong, and then he's up for it. <laughs> like, what? I don't think you can have consent when you're a slave. Like, a little awkward. Yeah. As if he would kiss her. I suppose he's possibly about to die, so why so? not? I don't know. Mm, morals. So they fade away as Kirk wakes up and Drew is gone and Claudius is there. And they search Kirk for a missing communicator, but of course he doesn't have it. So somehow one of the communicators is missing. Who has it? Mm -hmm. Back on the Enterprise, they are ready for the disruption and a broadcast declares that Kirk will be executed on live television. So now, Scotty's got a plan? Yeah. The thing that he anticipated that was going to happen now is happening? It's just balls. I'm saying that it's bad writing. Bad writing. He came up with this plan. Then just, it just happened to and happen. And then it just happened to work. Yeah. Claudius tells Kirk that he doesn't expect him to change his mind and that Drew was his kind of last night on Earth gift. He tells him he respects him, but he still has to kill him. When Merrick gets Kirk alone, he says that he will try and help Spock and McCoy, but there is no hope for him. On the soundstage, Kirk is on live TV and about to be run through. Mm, that's brutal. I know. So back on the soundstage, Kirk is on live TV and about to be run through. And then right at the moment of him being stabbed, Flavor Crystals comes <laughs> bounding in and he attacks the executioner. Just then, the power gets disrupted and Kirk is able to get a gun, but Flavor Flav is shot. <sighs> 
Kirk appears to be immune to bullets. He's just good at dodging. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So Kirk runs to the jail to rescue his BFFs. They shout, don't let him escape. Cue, no one follows him for ages. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they give him lots of time to yeah. run. So Kirk manages to get them out of their cage, but then they are surrounded. And for some crazy reason, Claudius wants the guards not to use their guns, but just their swords. Show them how real men fight. Hmm. I don't know why it's important to show people that are going to be dead in a few minutes how real <laughs> men fight, but okay. He likes his historical accuracy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Merrick pulls out the missing communicator and calls the Enterprise. Claudius stabs him, mm. but not before he slides it to Kirk. Whoa, hey now. Sliding it to Kirk. Oh, come on. <laughs> Kirk calls for a beam up and they are gone. Bullets flying through their transporter silhouettes. Oh, very beautiful. <laughs> On the bridge, everything is back to normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott is given a commendation for helping <laughs> and not breaking the prime directive. Uh. <laughs> then we go out with this. Captain, I see on your report Flavius was killed. I, I am sorry. I like that huge sun worship. I wish we could have examined that belief of his more closely. It seems illogical for a sun worshiper to develop a philosophy of total brotherhood. Sun worship is usually a primitive, superstition religion. I'm afraid you have it all wrong, Mr. Spock, all of you. I've been monitoring some of their old-style radio waves. The Empire spokesman trying to ridicule their religion. But he couldn't. Don't you understand? It's not the sun up in the sky. It's the son of God. Caesar and Christ, they had them both. And the word is spreading only now. Philosophy of total love and total brotherhood. It will replace their imperial Rome, but it will happen in their 20th century. Wouldn't it be something to watch, to be a part of? To see it happen all over again. So Christianity is the best thing that happened to Western civilization? Is that what they're trying to say here? Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll also have another dark age or some crusades or maybe a good old-fashioned inquisition. Oh, that was Uhura's big moment, too. She's barely said anything since Tribbles. Yeah. Isn't Jean an atheist? He is, yeah. Hmm. But I, sometimes the writers are religious and they throw stuff in there like that. I guess so. I'm not sure. Christianity, of course, has really good points, but a lot of people have and still do use Christianity and their religious beliefs to further their own ends. And having it in this episode of Star Trek seems so culturally biased to me. Mm. Like, how odd would it have been if there was some blossoming Islam or how great it would be to see the world experience the birth of Buddhism? When you think about it that way, it just feels really out of place hmm. that they would kind of uh, exalt a burgeoning religion. As the solution that soon everything would be okay because yeah. of it. Yeah. Hmm. They were so happy about it, weren't they? They were so sure that it would overcome the barbarism of Rome. I wasn't as upset about it as you were. I just thought it was odd. One of many odd things that happened in this yeah. episode. Well, let's talk about it in concepts. concepts. The title makes sense. The TV show as a way of pacifying people through entertainment. It was difficult to put the energy into any of the concepts whilst watching this, though, as it all just seemed half-baked. Yeah. 
big disappointment for our family this week, Chris. Why? The kids were baking. I decided to use a hands-off approach. The result was greasy, smaller than it went into the oven, huh? and it tasted like cheese. Uh, what were you trying to make? <laughs> Cupcakes. Oh, no. Like cheese? Yeah. How does that happen? I don't know. So there was a yes. lot of disappointment this week for the Lackey family. Oh, yeah. The cupcakes and this episode of Star Trek. This episode must have been buried. Gene Coon's on it. It was obviously shot earlier. Maybe they could get away with airing it once the third season had been secured. We didn't have to try anymore. All right. That could be it. They're like, oh, this one stinks. We'll just keep it in the back here. (laughs) The concept is that Rome never fell and they became TV producers. Slavery evolved to include pensions and health care. Interesting. Yeah. They didn't really seem to flesh that out, though, or wasn't paying attention if they did. No. Spock comments that although Earth moved on from slavery, their three world wars, which this planet didn't have, killed more people than slavery. Mm. So that is interesting to see another perspective on it from a Vulcan who also didn't have these three world wars. Right. Yeah, that is an interesting point. It's, is it better to have a life of slavery or have no life at all? Mm-hmm. An interesting concept that's kind of just brought up and then quickly dropped. That's most of this episode. Anything that's interesting is kind of just thrown out right after it's said. It's all over the place. I'm not sure why they felt the need to do another episode where this alternate timeline, basically. And another shout out to a fascist regime bringing unity. Yeah. It might have been budgetary concerns. They had all these sets and they had all of the costumes already. So they figured, why not do it this way? It does not make good Star Trek and it does not hold up. So conceptually... Three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment wise... A lot of lousy McCoy throwback stuff. Hated it. That's not him anymore. He's gone beyond that. Yeah. Loads of ear talk in general about Spock. But at least McCoy got to foo a bit for a change. Mm. He did a punch and a neck chop. Yeah, wasn't that entertaining to me. No. He's kind of a skinny little guy. So when Mm. he's fighting, you really see that like, oh, you're not that tough. Oh, (laughs) it did work in that scene though. He did take them out, but then he was a really rubbish fighter when it came to the gladiator pit. Yeah, and Mm. the guy wasn't even trying on him and he was still rubbish, you know? Yeah, the guns then sword stuff was silly. Yeah. The fight was boring, as mm. it would be when one of each pair isn't trying, or at yeah. least one of each pair, and McCoy's bickering at Spock the whole time. It was boring and impossible to invest in, for me. Yeah. Scotty's heroic scene was a turkey as well. Usually those provide some good entertainment. It's one of those episodes that didn't make sense, and that was making me angry. So oh. I was the opposite of entertained. I was infuriated. Oh. And I was also bored. So when I wasn't mm. angry, I got bored. So yeah. that's even worse. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. it's a pretty that's bad a level mixture, of entertainment. So I would say a two. Oh, wow. I was going to go for a four. Okay. I'll just stick with it. Right, I'm going to say two. I, didn't, I did not trek with this one. Sexiness. Well, it was filmed ages ago, so Kirk was looking really good and twinkly, Mm -hmm. plus the wrap over top and then the short-sleeved sweatshirt. Sure. Good. Short skirt Roman fighting Flavor Flav guy was pretty cute. Mm -hmm. McCoy turned me back off, as did Granny Potter. Unconvincing seduction slash kiss scene. Ill-fitting, yet kind of sexy gold bikini dress. Oh, yeah. On Drusilla, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll go five. Yeah, she was attractive, but it, I was weirded out by the whole dynamic of her being a slave and being ordered to, like, please him. So mm-hmm. that seemed off-putting to me. And then... She didn't seem to mind. No, she seemed into it. Probably but, a nice break from having to seduce Harry Sparkles. Yeah, that guy made me never want to have sex again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling passed. Okay, good. He was not a very sexy... I would give it a three. Mm, wow. Pretty low for me, yeah. Ooh. 
So how'd I do with my guesses? The Best Friends gang did go. They didn't even bother having an outfit. No. No togas. No. Nothing. No. That's even worse than usual. <laughs> there was a gladiatorial thing. Yeah. No gone. No. There was a kind of a Roman consort who fell for Kirk. Kind sort of. of. McCoy didn't get to have a nice meal or no. any wine. But Kirk did. Yeah. They did have 20th century weapons. There was no toga foo. But there was a fight in Roman outfits, I guess. Pretty accurate. There was some slight deviation, but... Yeah, no female history expert. No, yeah. Mm. But uh, pretty good. I mean, you're really getting good at predicting these episodes. I just throw it all out there and some of it is bound to <laughs> stick. That's the way to do it. So next week, uh, we have the final episode of the second season. Wow. Which is called Assignment Earth. Oh, are they going to Earth? Yes. I think it's another time travel one where they go back to Earth in the 1960s, I think. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen this one. I believe this episode was actually intended to be a spinoff of Star Trek, mm -hmm. if it's the episode that I think it is. Oh. But we'll talk about that more next week. Yeah, we will. And then soon after that, we'll be creating our season two wrap-up show. Yeah. Gonna have to listen back to all our episodes and try and remember what happened in all of them, I think, first. Well, look at what Rafe wrote down mm -hmm. for our top and bottom episodes uh, yeah. and we'll discuss our top three and our bottom three again our most sexy our least sexy episodes <laughs> etc exactly but i'm looking forward to that and i'm looking forward to assignment earth and i want to thank our patrons for your support without you we would not be continuing to do the show so thank you so much thank you so much and you will be getting that wrap-up episode if you're at the five dollar plus level so head over to patreon.com and join us on the crew to get that season wrap-up show and other bonus content and with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek.